Differing Things is a podcast which focuses on how far religion and society have deviated from the Bible. Today we're going to talk about serving and guarding these two words in particular. We'd like to look at a special use of two Hebrew words in the Bible, serve and guard. These are the normal words for serving and guarding, and they're used many times throughout the Old Testament in many different contexts. But there are only a few instances where we find them used together. And in these contexts, they carry a special weight and significance. The first passage we would like to consider is Genesis 2.15. And I'm going to uh, read it in several different translations, and and we'll notice the difference here. In the concordant version, then Yahweh Elohim took the human and settled him in the Garden of Eden to serve it and to keep it. In the King James Version, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the... uh, King James Version of the New Schofield, which has some word changes. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. And in the writ, this is a very literal translation. And Yahweh Elohim took Adam and left him in the garden of Eden to service it and to guard it. Why did God put man in the garden. These translations suggest that he was supposed to become a gardener. In a sense, there was some truth in that. But what these verses actually say was that the man was to serve and guard the garden. Three times I read the word keep, but it is actually the word guard. And it is the same word that was used in the third chapter of the cherubim, guarding the way to the tree of life. These words suggest a different idea than we might have had about God's purpose for man. As a child growing up, I had the idea that God put the humans in the garden just to to kick back and enjoy it, maybe to pick the apples and prune the grapes once in a while. I saw it as a tropical paradise that we could still be enjoying if it wasn't for Satan and that snake. Can you imagine not needing to get a job to live? Never worrying about the cops pulling you over for a speeding ticket? Can you imagine never needing to buy insurance or a house to keep you protected from the elements? But if we think of it like a garden, that we might plant and raise, how do we explain the trees called the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Only God can plant trees like those. When they sinned, they covered themselves with fig leaves. The picture of a person sitting under his fig tree or grapevine was a symbol of kingdom, peace, and prosperity. We see that mentioned several times in the Old Testament. If you're interested in this, I'll give you some references. 1 Kings 4.25, 2 Kings 18.31, Micah 4.3, Zechariah 3.10, 
that we might contrast with that Psalm 105, verse 33. Do you remember Jesus mentioning that idea to Nathaniel? He mentioned it twice. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6 tells us of a righteous branch under the shadow of whom Israel would dwell in safety. And when it was clear that the Messiah was rejected, it was a fig tree that was cursed. So Adam and Eve covering with fig leaves may well represent the thought of obtaining kingdom peace by their own efforts. Symbolically, Israel was left without any leaves to cover themselves when they followed the deception of Satan and crucified their Messiah. The words serve and guard suggest something more. Man was given a job to do. It was a job that was relative to keeping and maintaining life. And there was a danger that it could be lost. And the coming of Satan was surely a test. We are going to explore these thoughts further, but let's do so by looking at some more occurrences where these words are paired in the context. Numbers chapter 3 verses 5 through 9 is one of our passages of interest. I'd like to give part of this passage from the writ translation because it will give us the emphasis that should be on the word serve and guard. This will be from verses 7 and 8. This is a very literal translation of the Hebrew, and I apologize for its awkwardness, but there's little, little other way to show the original emphasis. And they shall guard, yea, have its guard, and the guard of all the witness troop before the face of the tent of the witness to serve the service of the dwelling. And they shall guard all the implements of the tent of the witness and have the guard of the sons of Israel to serve the service of the dwelling. The context here is speaking about the Levites' responsibility for the tabernacle. Guard and serve, guard and serve. It's hard to miss the idea, isn't it? In Numbers chapter 8, verses 25 and 26, we have a reiteration of this with the spe specification of age restrictions for the ones who served and guarded. In chapter 18, verses 5 and 7, we have another reiteration of the serving and the guarding with the restriction that only the tribe of Levi could do this work. Further, it tells us that the death penalty was to be enforced upon any aliens who entered the tabernacle precincts. Yet the alien who comes near shall be put to death. That's Numbers 18, 7 in the Concordant Version. <clears throat> if the Levites were to serve and guard with authority to execute the death penalty, do we need to rethink the seriousness of Adam and Eve's commission in the garden? Do you remember what happened at Mount Sinai when Israel came out of Egypt? Moses was up on the mountain for a long time, and the people wearied of waiting for him. They thought they had lost their leader. And they pushed Aaron into making a golden calf to represent God as their leader. Then they started worshiping the idol with the immoral rituals of the pagan religions. Moses came down from the mountain, saw what was happening, and shouted, Who is on the side of Yahweh? The Levites assembled to him, 
and he sent them through the camp to kill the people involved in this false worship. They killed 3,000 men, and we're not told, but there were probably that many women also, and maybe some children as well. We don't, we don't know. This incident may be part of the reason the Levites were chosen to guard the tabernacle. We want to turn to 1 Kings 9 and begin with verse 1. It came to be, as soon as Solomon had finished building the house of Yahweh and the house of the king of all of Solomon's attachments, which he had desired to make, that Yahweh appeared to Solomon a second time, just as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And Yahweh said to him, now I'm going to drop down to verses 6 and 7 uh, of the instructions that Yahweh gave to Solomon. But if you should turn away, yea, turn away from following me, you or your sons, and should not keep, and actually the word is guard there, and should not guard my instructions and my statutes that I have set before you, so that you go and serve other Elohim and bow down to them, then I will cut Israel off from the surface of the ground that I have given to them. And I shall cast out from my face this house that I have sanctified for my name. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Guard and serve. If we were to turn to First Chronicles 28, verses 8 and 9, we would find David instructing Solomon at his coronation. And David also used these two words, guard and serve. Now, we've given some different examples, so I want to place in your mind the idea that these are actually new Edens. I want to think about Eden again, the garden there, for a minute. We want to look at the, the timing of these events and some of the details associated with them and see the pattern that the scripture set before us. The Garden of Eden, the timing. God planted a garden. He placed the humans in it. He charged them to serve and guard what he had given them there. The provisions. There was abundant water and food. There were trees. And there was fellowship with God in the garden. The location. It was a place of considerable elevation since the water, the river that flowed through there and uh, flowed out became four significant rivers. Now here's another, here's a new Eden, the tabernacle, the timing. The Israelites had been freed from slavery in Egypt and had just entered into covenant with God. They had just built the tabernacle, the provisions. There was a water supply in the labor and God's other miraculous provisions of water. There was food from the altar. The golden lampstand was a combination olive and almond tree. And there was fellowship with God. God would speak to the people through Moses and Aaron from the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. The location, Mount Sinai, an elevated position. Let's think about with Solomon the king. The timing, at Solomon's coronation, his father David instructed him to guard and serve all of God's instructions. The provisions. He was to be king of the nation and the recipient of all temporal needs from God. The location, Jerusalem, Mount Zion. Let's think about the temple. 
another new Eden. The timing? As soon as it was finished, God brought the charge to Solomon and a renewed charge to the Levites and the priests. The provision? There were ten labors, plus a, a huge sea. It's called a sea. It was the size of about ten labors itself uh, of water. There was the food of the sacrifices. There were ten lampstands resembling olive and almond trees. There was fellowship and instruction from God dwelling in the holy place. The location? Mount Zion or Mount Moriah, the place of Arunah's threshing floor. Interestingly, the name Arunah means a large tree. It doesn't take very much imagination to see and realize that the tabernacle, the kingdom in the promised land, and the temple were all new Edens. All the blessings of the garden and more would have been supplied to Israel if there had not been the failure to guard and serve the things that God had given. God kept trying to bless and man kept throwing it away. I'd like to think now about the true guardian and servant. There's a passage in the New Testament which gives us a reflection of all these Old Testament passages. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Adam was the head of humanity. He was in a garden with an abundance of food and water, and he failed to serve and guard what God had given him. He brought death and sin to the human race by his disobedience to God. Christ is the new head of humanity. He was in the wilderness and had fasted for 40 days but he guarded himself in God's honor. The priests and Levites worked at the tabernacle and temple day in and day out, but they failed to guard the holy precincts and to serve with integrity. The tabernacle had been filled with God's glory, but Eli's family became so corrupt that it was that the whole family was cursed and killed. At the dedication of the temple, the glory of God came in with such power and intensity that the priests could not even stand up. But the priests and Levites fell away from faithfulness to God. 
and the wealth of Solomon's temple was pillaged and carried off to Babylon. Christ was set on the pinnacle of the temple, built by a conniving Edomite, and he served his God and guarded what was committed to him. And even more than this, he himself was a temple in which God dwelt and never had to leave because of sin or failure to guard and serve. Solomon was promised wealth, prosperity, and peace for the kingdom of Israel. He would sit on an ivory throne overlaid with gold, and his children would succeed him if only he would serve and guard his commission and not bow down to and serve or worship any foreign gods. But he married many foreign women for political relationships to other countries, and he brought their gods to Jerusalem. Christ is the true and greatest king. From a high mountain, he was shown not the nation of Israel as an independent kingdom, but all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. These would be his, if only he would worship Satan. But he rebuked Satan, saying, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Christ guarded and served the truth and the commission his father gave him. He was successful where the head of humanity failed in the garden. He was successful where the priesthood of Israel had failed. He was successful where the kings of Israel had failed. And he was successful in all these places in the absence of any reward or even the supply of his basic life needs. Here is humanity's new man. Here is a faithful and true priesthood. His is an uncompromising righteousness as king. Bringing it home. So where do we go from here? We've seen a variety of examples that displayed a variety of needs. And we have seen that Christ is a solution and provision for all those needs. But how do we make this personal? Let's go to the book of Ephesians, reading from the concordant version, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses us with every spiritual blessing among the celestials in Christ, according as he chooses us in him before the disruption of the world, we to be holy and flawless in his sight in love, designating us beforehand for the place of a son for him through Christ Jesus, in accord with the delight of his will, for the laud of the glory of his grace, which graces us in the beloved. Adam had abundant blessings, didn't he? But look at us, blessed with every, not a few, not some, but every spiritual blessing. Where? In Eden? No. Among the celestials. In the heavenlies. And we were chosen to be made flawless. We are going to be able to guard and serve our commission. We are not going to mess it up like Adam and Eve did. Because God has delighted to designate us for the place of a son of himself through Christ. It's all in grace. It doesn't depend upon our ability or our dependability. Christ was already faithful when he was hungry and 
such as the Tower of Babel and the Pagodas of the Orient, and many other structures, all were forms following the idea of the Axis Mundi. They are a figure in the memory of humanity that is connected with creation and many events since then. In Exodus chapter 20, right after the Ten Commandments, God gave specific instructions about worship and sacrifice, and he gave special restrictions about altars. Israel could make an offering and sacrifice on the ground. If they build an altar, they could build it out of stones, but they could not form or alter any of the stones. If they used a tool to shape an altar stone, they had polluted the stone and made it unfit. And they could not have a raised altar that was approached on steps. This is what the ziggurats were. They were a man-made imitation mountain for communicating with the gods, a human effort to go back to communicating with the true God. But man can't do that by his efforts. And to try is just to expose our nakedness and shame and inability. After Eden, the tabernacle became that link. In the land of Canaan, uh, the land of Canaan was supposed to be the place of that link, but it did not happen till the days of David and Solomon when the temple was built there. Jacob's dream of a staircase to heaven was a vision of this connection. The Lord Jesus told Nathaniel that he was that heavenly link. Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, John 1.51. The Mount of Transfiguration was rehearsal and planning for the setting up of the link between heaven and earth. Jesus Christ on the cross is the true fulfillment of the Axis Mundi. Jesus Christ on the cross was God driving a stake of love into the heart of humanity, a barbed stake that can never be removed. The cross was a stake that takes root in the heart of humanity and grows into a tree of life. Earth, humanity communicating with God and his heavenly host, that is what we're talking about. The cross of Christ is the Axis Mundi. The Apostle Paul said that God's purpose in calling us to be his sons was to have an administration that would bring heaven and earth into unity under the headship of Christ, Ephesians 1.10. That is the purpose of your calling and the reason for your belief. We are seated among the celestials in Christ. We are seated at the council table of God to participate in the affairs of bringing the universe to peace in Christ. We are called to be part of the umbilical cord that joins heaven and earth. We have a place and function in the Axis Mundi. We have a place and function in ministering life and growth and cleansing to the world. This is a priestly type of function, a function of mediation. Three things. Number one, we are blessed with the Onian life and every spiritual blessing to live in the eons of the kingdom. Two, we are blessed to be part of the administration that will hit up all in the Christ. 
3. And finally, there is reigning and ruling for those who suffer with Christ. Now we talk about our position as it parallels kings and ruling. Is your love for Christ great enough that you would suffer with him faithfully? Some thinks it takes courage or great bravery to, to suffer for Christ, but I don't think there is any courage that is as faithful as an all-consuming love. Love will walk through the daily struggles. Love won't turn away when courage wanes. Love walks through fire with thankfulness that it can bear the pain for someone else. How much do you love the Lord Jesus? Adam and Eve failed when they were tempted in the garden. But Adam and Eve were naked and deceived by their desires. Paul said that it was not ours to wrestle with flesh and blood, but it is ours to wrestle with the sovereignties, with the authorities, with the world knights of this darkness, with the spiritual forces of wickedness among the celestials. That's why we will be seated there. So let's put on the armor. Let's stand in this wicked day and buy back the time for Christ. Be girded about with truth. Protect the vital organs of the chest with a breastplate of righteousness. Have your feet sandaled and ready with the gospel of peace. And take up the large shield of faith that can extinguish all the fiery arrows of the wicked one. Do this and receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is a declaration of God. Remember Jesus in the wilderness? He defeated the adversary on every temptation, and his weapon was always a declaration of God from the Scriptures. Keep your Bible more than handy. Keep it in your heart and keep it in your mind. We've looked at a lot of verses which talked about serving and guarding. But under grace, we find exhortations to believe and realize. In Ephesians 1, Paul prayed for us to realize the expectation of our calling as sons of God and to realize the enjoyment of our allotment in the administration of the complement of the eons and the remaining time periods of God's plan. And then he told us to walk in a way becoming the gospel and to stand against our foes. The enablement for this comes from the final request of his prayer that we grasp the transcendent greatness of his power for us who are believing. I remind you today, not just to serve and guard, but in the grace given to us to believe and realize so that you can stand and walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Then the service and the guardianship of the truth will come naturally. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org.
Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.